0: Welcome to Digging In, where we provide a front row seat to politics in New Hampshire. I'm State Representative Anita Burrows. I'm here to bring you the inside track on the people and politics that are shaping our state. I'm Anita Burroughs, and I'm speaking today with State Representative Karen Ebel, who has been a longtime activist in the State House in her efforts to remove dangerous PFAS chemicals from consumer products and our landfills. This will be a two part interview. Welcome to Digging In. Today on my show is State Representative Karen Ebel, who joined the state legislature in 2012. So she's been around the block uh, quite a few times. So Karen, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. I'm pleased to be here. Great, great, great. Today we're gonna we're gonna talk about PFAS. And in our previous show, we had Wendy Thomas on, State Rep. Wendy Thomas, and Wendy talked about um, the health hazards of PFAS from a personal perspective, which was a really powerful story. So today, Karen's gonna be talking more about. PFAS and what it is and what it does to us, because I think a lot of people still don't know. So Karen, you are a strong advocate uh, about the dangers of PFAS in the statehouse. Um, you're, you're one of several people who are or are super advocates on this. So can you tell me how you got involved in this and why this subject is so important to you?
1: Sure. And um, thank you again very much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this issue, perhaps in a little bit of a different way than a lot of the information that you've heard. I became involved in the issue of solid waste and what was happening in the state of New Hampshire back in 2019, I would say. And I've been really involved in trying to get New Hampshire In a better place, as far as solid waste management, which led to the development of a solid waste working group, which I now chair, that's a very broad um, stakeholder group. And we work really closely with DES on the um, trying to- And DES, uh, could you explain to people what that is? The New Hampshire Department of Environmental Services, and in particular, the Waste Management Division. So, we work really closely with them on trying to help however we can to achieve the goals that are in the solid waste management plan. And the solid waste management plan, one of the big goals is reducing toxicity in the waste stream, which of course led to PFAS. Um, And the more way, you know, the further the group and I got into the issue of PFAS, we decided it was something that we really needed to work on.
0: Okay. So can you, let's, let's talk a little bit about waste management. And, and, you know, when I think of waste management, I I guess, I guess my, my brain terms goes to the Sopranos because Tony (laughs) Soprano was, Tony Soprano was in waste management sort of. So, um, so, you know, tell us why we need to care about waste management. Cause I think some people probably their eyes roll back in their head and they're like, what? You know, why why do we need to care about this?
1: Well, I mean, let's face it, discussing uh, waste management and solid waste is really talking about trash that gets into the issue of recycling, you know, reuse, trying to decrease how much we throw away. And then also uh, it brings us into a focus on the cost to municipalities for dealing with their trash. Landfills, the development of landfills and all that sort of thing. And I think the story on PFAS is that for quite a long period of time, when you've been talking about PFAS as, as, the, um, as we've learned more and more about the health effects much of the focus has been on remediation. You know, we've been really focused on water, how it affects our drinking water. It's getting into the water, the groundwater. And really, the issue of wastewater treatment and the issue of solid waste or trash tea treatment is just really, really very
0: interrelated. I just want to ask, for people who don't know, can you briefly tell us what is PFAS and and where is it?
1: Okay. So PFAS... PFAS is a, is the acronym for a very long uh, chemical name for a group of chemicals that were developed over a period of time that have very strong chlorine and fluorine bonds or attachments. Like these are so strong that it's incredibly difficult to break them. So, you know, from an industrial or, or from a sort of a life standpoint, you would think, wow, that's really great to have a substance with that's like that because they so they started using it in firefighting foam. It was really good to suppress fires. You can have it on your clothing and make the rain, you know, drip off you can have it on your furniture and spill a glass of wine and wipe it off. It's on
0: Teflon too, the pants. It's yeah. on
1: textiles. I mean, it's on cookware. Yeah. It's used as an anti-stick. The the problem is that what makes it so fantastic, those properties, once it gets into us and once it gets into the water and the and the air and the soil, Its properties continue. So it's incredibly uh, difficult, if not impossible, um, at some level
0: to break it down. We talked about Teflon and Teflon pans for cooking. And I know a lot of people have gotten rid of those because of that. They're in dental floss. They're in carpeting. And, um, just, just a note on the carpeting, you know, when I started finding out about this, I went into a couple of carpet stores in my, in my, um, where I live up in the the North country. And I asked the, the, the people who own the stores, you know, do you have PFAS in the carpet that you sell? And they didn't know what it was and they were very concerned. So, you know, we're really still getting the word out on this. So, um, Karen, what are some other things that, that, um, are in everyday products that we use? Well,
1: it, it just it's 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 shocking, really. Um, so one of the greatest direct exposure sources for PFAS in us is food packaging. So you know it's really terrific that when you pop some popcorn, it doesn't stick to the bag, or if you get some McDonald's French fries, they don't stick to the bag. But the reason that they don't is there's a substance that is anti-stick, and that is PFAS. So it's in it's in food prep pa- packaging. Another huge source for women in particular is cosmetics. So, you know, as you've gone on and you say, oh, I can put on this foundation or this lipstick and it'll last forever. I can cry. I can walk in the rain. <laughs> um, that's, that's PFAS. So cosmetics is a great source of exposure. And, and aren't they also in f- female um, hygiene products? Female hygiene yeah. products. They are in dental floss, personal protective equipment, and juvenile products is a huge issue when you think of, of children, the various things that kids are exposed to that you don't want you know, their food right. or whatever to stick to.
0: It's in a whole lot of, um, of juvenile products. So let me ask a question. So let's just say, you know, I I got some McDonald's French fries, which unfortunately I can't eat anymore because of my age and I get fat. But um, if I did get McDonald's French fries, what could the PFAS in the packaging, where does it go? How does it get into my system and what could it do to me?
1: Well, I mean... And I should say a lot of fast food restaurants are starting to get away from this. So I don't want to target McDonald's in particular. Um, But let's just use that as an example. Well, you consume it. It goes into your um, stomach. It goes into your blood. It can go into your liver. I mean, it goes everywhere that chemicals go. And what happens is the bonds are tight and it can start to accumulate in your body the people that like Wendy Thomas and the people that live closer to industrial sites where they use PFAS, obviously, they're also getting it more through their uh, through the environment that they live in and their water. But for the rest of us, you know, with the consumer products and perhaps our drinking water, if we're drinking from wells. That's how we start to get it into us. So it does bioaccumulate, is that's the term. And the, the health effects, you know, are myriad. They can cause liver damage, they can increase cholesterol, there's an increased risk of thyroid disease, there can affect your immune responses, increased risk of asthma, decreased fertility. Pregnancy related issues, and then they're investigating, you know, kidney cancer and various cancers. There are some folks that have lived near industrial sites. They think that, you know, there's a good chance that their breast cancer is related to it. And then you can get in Minnesota, there was a young woman who had an incredibly rare cancer who died at age 20, and it was a direct link between her exposure to
0: PFAS. So it's not really something you want in your body. We were talking about Merrimack, the Merrimack area and we know that Saint St. Goban uh, dump chemicals um, that cause a lot of um, cancer in that area. But um, what, what something that really blew me away. Um, I was chatting with um, the gentleman who runs our, our water supply here in Bartlett and he told me that there is a, a company in town, I won't name them that you know they provide landfill. And that the landfill was found to have PFAS in it and that they had dumped it. I mean, you know, they were doing landfill at the new high school and that there was PFAS in it. I mean, that is just mind boggling. And apparently, you know, they didn't do anything illegal. I guess there was nothing to stop them from doing that. So that really kind of shocked me. Yeah. So it's really, this is the
1: thing. It's just really pervasive. And New Hampshire has been particularly burdened by it. The U.S. uh, Geological Survey actually did soil testing all over the state of New Hampshire. And although it was at varying levels, there literally was no spot among whatever, a hundred or more, where they didn't find some level of of PFAS, um, you know, and- we can talk some more, you know, I started out by talking about solid waste. We can talk a little bit more about the interrelationship between our landfills and our wastewater treatment plants and our drinking water. Because when you're talking about consumer products, what happens is when you're done or the packaging or whatever, they go into the landfill and when you've consumed PFAS, you also excrete them. So they end up in sewer systems or wow. in your own septic systems. So we can talk more uh, precisely about the cycle whenever you want to. But it, this is really my entry point to the uh, issue as opposed to someone from Merrimack like Wendy Thomas, who is really dealing with it at an industrial scale.
0: Right, right. Karen, you and I have been involved in PFAS legislation. You as um, as a sponsor, me on the Commerce Committee, where we deal with many of these issues. And uh, last term, I know that we we started look one of the things that we focused on was carpeting, and that did not fly fly um, unfortunately last term. But why carpeting? Why do we want to? Why did we focus on carpeting? So.
1: If you're talking about PFAS and you're and, and I'll get directly to your question but the, the if you're talking about PFAS and you're talking about the health effects and the difficulty of remediating it and the extreme expense that we're all going to to make sure that it's not in our water I mean we haven't talked about this but our drinking water now has to be tested to the one trillionth, which is a mind-boggling amount. It's like equal to 1 cup of liquid in all of Lake Sunapee. Can you explain that? What do you mean it has to be it has to be tested to that extent? Well, so <laughs> there's this is such a broad topic, but yeah. the thing is that the health effects are so broad, you know, a lot of us have wells. So we're not even testing for PFAS from our wells. But if you have your water coming from a municipal uh, drinking water facility, the drinking water facility gets their water either from groundwater or from, you know, like surface water. And they have to treat it for any number of chemicals already. But as the story has evolved on PFAS, they now have to test for... PFAS contamination in the water before it can be sent out to be you know consumed by the public to the to the one trillionth. And this is I, I forget if it's you know 12 parts per trillion or something like that. I mean it's really a minuscule amount, and New Hampshire has really been a leader on that. So There have been extreme costs associated with the testing and the remediation, you know, to get the PFAS out of the water before it can be sent out. And then once it's in uh, soil or water, it's just, you know, they're trying to develop technologies to treat it, but they're extremely difficult. So the best way to keep PFAS out of us, and our soil and our air and our water is to cut back on the sources, and that's how we
0: get to a place where we're talking about something like carpets. And again, so let's go back to that question: why why did we focus on carpets so much? What why, why, why okay. that product? I mean, I'm I'm sorry for the deviation, but you know <laughs> it's better yeah. to set it into
1: context. So I introduced a bill uh, that focused on carpets in particular for a couple of reasons. One is, uh, carpets are in our homes, they carry a big uh, PFAS load because we don't want our red wine or our dogs, you know, whatever to stain our carpets. And our children and our grandchildren are crawling around, they're lower, and they get exposed to off-gassing and dust and whatever that comes off of these carpets. So from a health effect, it's a really good thing to focus on. It's also one of the places where most, I mean, we talked about food packaging and cosmetics. The other place we're really exposed to PFAS is carpet. The other thing is that carpet is a huge, has a huge PFAS load when it goes into our landfills. And as the water goes through our landfills, it leaches out. And we can talk about that as well. But I also chose carpet because Vermont and Maine um, were, and now have, a ban in place on carpet with PFAS added.
0: Right. And um, unfortunately, as I said, that bill went down, um, did not pass. Why do you think there was opposition to that? I, I just think in, you know, People don't like to ban
1: products. There was some concern that, you know, hey, what if I want to buy a carpet and uh, I don't really care whether it has PFAS in it. I want a carpet. How's it going to affect the carpet supply? I think there is misunderstanding and reluctance to understand how um, scary the situation is with PFAS. And I think that, you know, A lot of education actually happened around that carpets bill so that this new bill that I've just introduced, which we can talk about, has many more products. And I think the education that happened with carpets now is transferable to to this new bill.
0: Right. And just on on the carpeting issue, it was interesting. You know, when I learned about it, um, I had ordered a a small rug. My grandkids were coming over and I thought it'd be more comfortable for them when they were playing on the floor. And when I got here, I realized that it had PFAS in it. And I thought, uh, there's no way they're going to be rolling around on this in my house. So I sent it back and I've since bought another rug. And I was really pleased to see and surprised on, um, I think it was Wayfair. Um, I got the rug. Um, it was an inexpensive rug, and there was a, a, you know, you could check off what attributes you want in the rug, and one of them was that it be environmentally friendly, which I thought this is fantastic. I've never seen that anywhere before, so um, you know, I felt much more comfortable buying buying that, knowing that that. Well,
1: when you're talking about children, I have a grandson, and uh, I had to buy a crib mattress, and you know i had to do a lot of research to find a crib mattress that didn't have pfas in it the good news is for your listeners if they're concerned about this there are various websites now if you look for them that you can research pfas free products and you know as more and more states and i hope soon new hampshire uh join the fight and start banning various products I think we'll find more and more of, of them more easily available. But for consumers, it just becomes incredibly
0: difficult to, to avoid them. Right, right. So let's talk about uh, the, you've, you've put forth legislation for this year. And I know we're much more optimistic at, about getting it passed. And we seem at this point, at least in the House, we seem to have bipartisan support. And I also just want to mention that you and Carrie Speer, who's a member of, of my committee, Commerce Committee, have really done an amazing job with this, pushing this bill through. Tell us about what the, the differences in this bill and why I would say we are more optimistic that it's going to pass this year. Sure. The number of
1: the bill is HB 1649, if anybody wants to look at it. And it was referred to the Commerce Committee. And the goal of this bill is to ban several products that either have a great deal of direct exposure to us uh, when we are when we're around it, and/or our products that when they're thrown away, carry a huge PFAS load into our landfills. So the products that I mean we've referred to them a little bit, but the products that this bill would would seek to ban, and I would, and this is in four years, so it has a very long run-up period to allow, you know, things to, to get rolling. It's carpets, uh, cosmetics, textile treatments which are like stain guard which i don't even know if it's on the on the market anymore but it's things like stain guard mm-hmm. feminine hygiene products which of course are directly applied to the body food packaging and food containers which you know it can leach into our food and we can consume it juvenile products i mentioned one which was mattresses there's a pretty long definition of that but these are products that are made for and sold for children 12 and under, and who wants their children consuming PFAS? Personal protective equipment, that's PPE, face masks, things like that. Upholstered furniture, which is treated with all these stain uh, guards. And then textile furnishings, which is like drapes and things of that nature. So I've really tried to, there, there are other things that could be banned, but you know, I tried to keep the focus a little more limited. I mean, there's someone asked me, well, what could you have included in this? Well, there's apparel and there's cookware, cleaning products. I mean, you don't want to dig too deep because it's really hard to find something that doesn't have it.
0: Right. Right. We needed to start somewhere and not, not, you know, I think one concern was uh, some people in my committee said, well, we can't fix it because it's everywhere which I, I reject that line of reasoning because you have to start somewhere in order right. to to get the problem, to solve the problem. So, you know, I, I applaud you for doing that. So I guess another, so my other question for you, again, it seems like we're getting much more buy-in this year. Uh, frankly, some of the Republicans last term um, were, you know, we're not going to do this, you know, because belief in the free market and the, let the market sort this out. So why do you think we're getting buy-in this time around?
1: Well, I think there's several reasons. As we said, one is like increasing understanding of the health effects. The other is when you look at the economic effects of having so much uh, PFAS in our system, which is the remediation that I was talking about. New Hampshire's already paid something like $110 million for remediation and upgrading wastewater treatment plants. We haven't really talked about this so much. I hope we can go back to it. But, you know, the treatment to get PFAS out of our wastewater and et cetera is incredibly expensive. The other thing is, and I think this is one of the big reasons, I was able to put together a coalition this time that included landfill operators, wastewater treatment operators, Drinking water operators, like so are utilities, the Public Health Association, a multiplicity of uh, environmental groups, professional firefighters, epidemiologists. I mean, this coalition is so broad. And the reason that it's so broad, the New Hampshire Municipal Association, is because everyone is recognizing what a huge problem this is. And the best way to stop it is to stop using a product that is bad for us. New Hampshire stopped using mercury. New Hampshire stopped having certain toxics like lead in our or whatever in our food packaging. I mean, we I mean, there's a number of things that we thought were fabulous that we had to stop using. I mean, this is the next frontier. And right. I right. think Anybody that has a family member that they care about has got to be concerned about their exposure to PFAS, especially because it's everywhere. And we have this cocktail of them, all of us in our bodies. And who knows what the effect will be on anyone. I mean, I read a study where they they tested breast milk of many, many women, and it was in 100% of the women's breast milk. That's, that's pretty that's scary. That's how pervasive that's it scary. is. scary. So to me, it's, it's logical.
0: Digging In is proud to announce the New Hampshire Putts of the Week, which are those legislators who profess to place personal liberty above all else, but whose votes just don't jive with that premise. Let's take a look at some of the legislation that pro liberty legislators have put forth. One is a bill that prohibits obscene or harmful materials to students and creates a procedure of action for their removal. The bill actually delineates how a breast can or cannot be shown. No breast can be shown with less than a fully opaque coverage of any portion below the top of the nipple. And by the way, a nipple is apparently okay if mom is feeding. Are you serious? The people who wrote this bill are the same folks who profess a love of personal freedom and who are fighting for parental control. If parents are the ones who should have control, shouldn't they be the arbiters of what materials their children see or do not see? My dad was a proponent of allowing his children to read anything they wanted to, and I do mean anything. As a result, I read books by Philip Roth as a preteen, including Portnoy's Complaint, which was controversial in its day for its frank language and descriptions of sexuality. I don't think the book damaged my brain in any way, and I believe I turned out to be a reasonably sane human being. Another large area for legislative hypocrisy are bills relating to transgender rights. HB 619 was a bill that passed in the House which banned gender-affirming care for minors, so much for parental rights in guiding their children's medical decisions in tandem with the medical community. If your child is trans, apparently parental rights just don't cut the Gijon mustard. The two circumcision bills passing through the legislature this year also strip parental rights away and enable state legislators to practice medicine without a license. This bill would force parents to see the medical devices that are used in circumcisions, although for now, apparently they're off the hook for seeing those devices used for appendectomies. If you're a Jew or a Muslim who wants to circumcise your child by traditions that are thousands of years old, you cannot opt to do so in a hospital setting, which is what many parents actually choose to do. Legislators on the Liberty team are committed to free enterprise with as few regulations and restrictions as possible. Yet many of these legislators are pushing for a cannabis bill that stifles entrepreneurship by having a state-run model for weed sales. This would mean that the State Liquor Commission would manage these stores as McDonald-type enterprises, laying out just how business people can sell cannabis, ranging from the products, the marketing, and the store layout. Finally, legislators committed to making the New Hampshire the freest state in New Hampshire are actually supportive of a 15-day abortion ban, which would essentially ban abortion at the time of fertilization. As it is not possible to ascertain if a woman is pregnant at this juncture, these legislators might just as well go ahead and ban sex altogether. So congrats to all the legislators who put forth these magnificent works of legislative genius and for winning the New Hampshire Putts of the Week Award. Go forth and live free or die. Thank you for listening to Digging In. I want to thank State Representative Karen Ebel for speaking with me about the dangers of PFAS in our consumer products and in our landfills. On my next episode, I'll be speaking again with Karen in this two-part series focusing on the forever chemical PFAS. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Digging In wherever you get your podcasts. I would also appreciate your spreading the word about this podcast to your friends and on social media.